I just know that this is an opportunity that's once in a lifetime that you're not going to get back. It is a dream of mine. It's either now or never. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but the biggest thing was I want to at least find out what the answer is. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Yes, indeed, folks. We are back on the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Friday, June 2nd, coming to you from Chicago IL birthplace of the baby back ribs it's summertime and after a two-week break i was on vacation for the last two weeks folks we're back with a great guest mike machiavello the 2023 u.s open champ he's wrestling zahid valencia saturday june 10th at final x for a spot on the world team can't wait for that matchup and i can't wait for final x if you're in the New Jersey area or New York City area, get to Final X, folks. It's going to be an amazing event. All three styles, men's freestyle, women's freestyle, and Greco will be conducted on the same day. We'll probably do an episode next week doing a preview for the event. So enjoy this episode with Mike Mock. Before we get to the interview, Fan of the Week goes to a recent Apple Podcast review. We love the Apple Podcast reviews. This one's from People Person. Five-star review from the Smiths to the Cejudo experiment and to the David Carr interview, bringing out the other side of these fierce warriors to the people. I've said it for years, wrestlers make the best humans. It's nice to get to know so many of those we enjoy watching compete. Thank you so much for the review, and thanks to everyone who's left an Apple Podcast review. After the Cejudo experiment, we now have over a thousand five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. And it's growing on Spotify as well. So thank you so much to everyone who's listening. If you haven't left a review, get the phone out, get those fingers moving, and leave us a review. Now, without further ado, folks, let's get to this interview with the great Mike Machiavello. Just a quick update from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the episode. This episode is brought to you by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club. They were with us last year, and they're back to promote their upcoming summer camps. If you're in the PA area, check out these camps. Amazing clinicians. The first camp is June 27th through the 29th at the Spooky Newt Complex in Lancaster, PA. Clinicians include Mike Evans, David McFadden, and Brian Pearsall, who's the head coach at 
excuse me, the head associate coach at Penn and a former Penn State wrestler. The Frog Ninja Wrestling Club is also doing a second camp in Oxford, PA, July 11th through the 13th. One of my favorite clinicians for this camp is Morgan McIntosh, who's an Army Green Beret, three-time All-American, and NCAA finalist for Penn State. He was also a three-time California State champ. He's going to be at the second camp in Oxford, PA. So register now at frogninjawrestlingclub.com. Mike Machiavello, welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. I think you guys have been doing some awesome stuff, man. Thank you. Thank you. We were just talking before the air. For all the listeners out there, this was scheduled before Mach went on his amazing run of winning the U.S. Open and the Pan Am. So uh, no bandwagon action here. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I'm so excited to talk, though. Your story is very refreshing because we see all the time, man, we see these these Spencer Lees, these Yanni Ds, these freaks of nature who from an early age on were killing it. You have a story where you didn't start till your freshman year of high school and then had a crazy turnaround after your redshirt year. So I'm so excited to get into all of it. Let's uh let's start at the beginning though, man. How'd you how'd you find the sport? Yeah, so uh Sean Griner and John Whalen came to a middle school football practice um towards the end of my eighth grade year. And uh John Whalen was uh, – he was a dad. He was uh, one of my football teammates, Keenan Whalen. They're from PA, so obviously they came from a, a wrestling area. So they played football. He was my teammate, and they were wrestling, and they kind of convinced me to try it for the sport. And I remember thinking, like, ah, I'm not wearing this thing. That's me. Not for me. And they were like, look, you can wear shorts and a T-shirt. We won't make it a big deal. You can wrestle first, do me shorts and t-shirt. I'm like, all right, if I can wrestle shorts and t-shirt, I'll give it a try. And uh, funny enough, I wrestled my first match in a pair of black shorts and a tucked in white t-shirt with my headgear. I was the only kid in the whole gym not wearing a singlet. So, oh man. And then uh, I did half a season. My mom made me quit for a Science Olympiad competition, of course, right? Freaking hold nervous. up, hold up. Science Olympiad, what's that? <laughs> It's just this science club in middle school that you go and you freaking make comp. You go to competitions and you build robots and bridges and. Okay. Yeah, so Bro, she's what, big on what, academics. What coach must have said to other coach after you came and dropped that bomb on him? They're like, "Hey, he nice kid, but we'll probably never see him again." Going to the science <laughs> Olympiad. I never heard that one before. <laughs> Machiavelli's pulling everything he can now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know, man. It was uh, so I wrestled. Only half a season in eighth grade. And my first full season was my freshman year of high school. And uh, that's kind of how I got introduced to the sport. And they told me it would make me a better football player. And that's kind of how I sparked. That's kind of how my interest got sparked. And it was like, just now we're here, which is crazy. And your, uh, your family, your mom has a really crazy story. What's her journey to the U.S.? Yeah, so she's the youngest of eight. She she was born in Parral, Chihuahua, Mexico. Um, and she came to the U.S. when she was 15 to visit her older sisters. Um, one was uh, like a special ed teacher in South Carolina. And then my other aunt was a nurse and she had come to visit them for the summer. And she was supposed to only be here a month and she's supposed to go back. 
and they basically made her stay and made her live with them. So she was 15 years old, didn't know any English. She got enrolled in school in Charlotte, North Carolina, went to West Mech High School, and she was taking ESL classes. And uh, <clears throat> she graduated. Then she went to community college. Uh, she had me at 19 years old, got her associate's degree, and now she's a dental hygienist, and she's been a dental hygienist for her entire career. So Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. that's It's crazy that her – when she came they're just like you're not going back like that's yeah they said she they said she cried for like a month (laughs) (laughs) wow because like 15 your parents are seriously in a different country you know i mean and you're still a family but still though i mean i can only imagine it's tough it's a completely new place and yeah yeah so have you ever been down in mexico to visit her side of the family Yep. Yep. When I was 10, we went and visited my grandparents and spent two weeks there, which was awesome. And I got to see the house my mom grew up in, which is not the biggest, you know, the eight kids with 10 people in the house. I mean, it was for sure. It was definitely packed, but I know it's, uh, it was like a modest, small little home and a small town. And when you pull up, so you fly into, I think, uh, El Paso, and then you take a taxi across the border from to El Paso to Mexico and you take like a charter bus once you get in Mexico to uh, Farral, which is like at nighttime, you can see the lights of the entire town, the whole town on one end to one end. It's like on the, it's like in a, like more terrains, like mountains, small mountains, but you can see the whole town on the side of like a hill almost at nighttime. It's kind of weird. It's trippy. It's not huge, but it's not crazy small either, but it's just uh yeah, man, it's uh, it was cool to be able to experience that and see that. And it's funny, one thing that I think about a lot too. This is a conversation my younger brother and I had not too long ago. But <clears throat> man, it's it's cool to just kind of be reminded about like where your family comes from because my grandparents had it tough. My mom has it a little bit easier than they did, and then we have a little bit easier than my mom. And Lord willing, our kids will have it a little bit easier than us. But you just think about the generations before and what they sacrificed and what they gave up to give their families like a more opportunity and something better. And it just kind of, to me, that, that inspires me a little bit and it it drives me and fuels me. It's like, you know, it's my, I kind of have like a duty, man, to try and keep it going. You know what I mean? So. It's crazy when you think about it, how you just broke it down where it's like your mom's life was super, super hard, but probably not as hard to your point as her mom's and it kind of goes down yeah. that ladder and so yeah it, it just hit me though i mean you're about to make team usa here but have you ever thought about representing uh team mexico on the international stage i've been asked that question so many times <clears throat> over the past couple of years and my answer is always like i want to make this team love it love it because because the, the reality is i mean think about it this way you have aspirations to go to the olympics right Let's say you make the Olympic team for Mexico and you go compete at the games and you don't place, but you're like, ah, you know what? I think I, I think I could actually medal here or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, in order to medal, you still got to beat the best guys in the world. doesn't matter if you're representing another country or if you're doing it domestically first. It's like, it doesn't matter what single I'm wearing in order to medal at the Olympic games or to win the Olympics, I still have to be world-class. So going and representing another country doesn't necessarily 
put me in a position to ultimately accomplish the goal that I have set for myself because the same hurdles and the same obstacles that are in my way domestically are going to be the same internationally. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's it's that's a good way to put it because the way I was thinking or how some people might think, it's like you see just going to the Olympics, that's like the participation ribbon. You're going to get a medal. Yeah, and so right, right. if you're going to medal, you're going to have to beat the Russians, the Americans. And and like we said, dude, this is you're, – you're now in the number one spot to make the team. So folks who – are some of our maybe not as diehard freestyle listeners. Mike won the U.S. Open, now has a bye to the finals of Final X, which is going down in a couple weeks, and you'll have the winner of the World Team Trials this weekend, correct? Yep. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, I mean, that I, I rewatched that match with Colin Moore, and that lace was awesome, and, man, there's so many matches I want to talk about, but let's go back to, to high school. So North Carolina is not traditionally, like, if you want to stay tall in North Carolina, it's not like you're guaranteed to go D1. When did you start thinking about wrestling at the college level? <clears throat> um, so my goal was always to play college football. Uh, I wanted to be a D1 athlete. That just in general, that was always like my aspiration was just I want to be a D1 athlete. Whether it was football, soccer, wrestling, didn't matter. I just wanted to be D1 athlete at a major D1 University. So, um, but my high school coach, Sean Griner, actually took us to Flow Nationals my junior year. And he kind of set up the trip. He just took the high school team. I didn't wrestle for a club at all. I only wrestled in season all four years. What? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I didn't wrestle year round at all. I only wrestled between November to February during my four years of high school. All summer, I was playing football. We had football camp, whatever, and then we would make it to the playoffs every year, like round two or round three, and that would take us into the deep, deep uh, November time frame, and then I would miss the first, like, opening turn, like, first two tournaments this season, and then after that, I would go straight into wrestling. <clears throat> and, yeah, so I never wrestled for a club. And my high school coach thought it would be a good idea to just take our high school team to a national tournament. That's wild. <laughs> he was from he was from Rochester, New York, and he wrestled at John Carroll University up in Ohio. And so he had wrestled in college, obviously at a smaller school, but he was from Rochester, New York, which also, uh, you know, what's crazy is I actually met Yanni Diakmahalis my senior year of high school. Um or it was either my junior year or my senior high school. I think it might've been my junior year. He was in eighth grade at the time because my high school coach knew his dad. So when we went to flow nationals, we went up to Rochester first, which is where G2 was at, which is the club Yanni was at. And so we needed a place to train for the week. So we trained for the week there. And then we went down to Indiana, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> and I was, me and Yanni were working out in the same room. He was working out with my high school teammate. And then I was working out with one of the G2 guys from New York and we we're getting ready to flow national with the flow. And he was in eighth grade. And I think he was like round of 12, maybe at flow nationals that year, or maybe he had just placed. Cause like I said, he was in eighth grade. Um, or it was my senior year and he won it. I can't remember which one. I know the next year he was going crazy. 
Dude's, a, just, dude's so good. animal, dude. And, oh, my uh, God. But I remember he was putting it on my high school teammate. And when my high school teammate placed third in the state of North Carolina, and Yanni was in eighth grade, and they were wrestling live. And he was just – yeah, so we were like – we knew he was real deal. And it was crazy. So, like, I had kind of known Yanni for a long time. And I remember when we when I won nationals my senior year, he had won nationals as a freshman. And so it was just crazy. I remember we were on the stage. We had taken the picture. We had taken the picture of the NCAA champs. We were just like, "How funny is this, man? Just kind of crazy. Things coming full circle. Yeah, just kind of wild." But so my high school coach took us to Flow Nationals as when I was a junior in high school, and we then I placed sixth at that tournament, and <clears throat> that's kind of where I started to get some attention. Frank Beasley noticed me at that tournament. And Frank Beasley is the one who actually recruited me to NC state. And was Frank Beasley remind me, was he at NC state at the time? He was at NC state at the okay. time when he was Matt side, my junior year at flow nationals, he was wearing a Binghamton t-shirt. So I think maybe things were in the process of changing over in Raleigh and they hadn't completely made the move yet, but I think he probably knew where they were going. And Oh, cause pop was at Binghamton. That's pop. right. Okay. And Frank was one of the assistants for pop at Binghamton. That's right. So he brought Frank with him and that's kind of how I got that phone call later that summer after my junior year. And I took a official visit that fall and then verbally committed not too long after going into my senior season and, that was that's it. How it. That's how it ended up at state. Yeah. I mean, for them to see someone like in state like that with that kind of talent, I mean, that's to place at the Flow Nationals is is a is a nice is a nice achievement. And to get that on the radar, did you he hear from other colleges? Uh Bucknell, UVA. Um I took an official visit to Bucknell. I took an unofficial visit to UVA. And I remember talking to UVA and to Bucknell. I think I actually tried to verbally commit to Bucknell, and they told me that all their slots were filled and that they that I would have to get into school on my own. And then UVA basically told me they weren't interested anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so funny, man. Even it's, to walk on. Like, they're just like, hey, bro, come if you want, but <laughs> on your own. And I think part of it had to do with maybe, like, me coming from the state of North Carolina. I don't necessarily think that it had the – being a state champion had the respect that, you know, being a state champion in another state had. And obviously, I think the, the sport in the state is growing a lot. And I think you're starting to see kids produce at a national level more consistently – Jax Forrest is from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Joe Seeley is from High Point, North Carolina. Those guys were born and raised in North Carolina. They just moved to PA for high school. Wow. So, <clears throat> I didn't know that. Yeah. And so Jax was 30 minutes from here. You know what I mean? From Raleigh, North Carolina. Joe is from High Point, North Carolina, which is an hour from Raleigh. And, you know, those, those guys. And then you have other guys, like there's a kid named Seamus, who I think is going to Wyoming Sim. And he's really, really young. And you just have other kids that are just doing – starting to produce at a national level. And I think the sport's growing. And, and, I, and I'd like to do more things to try and help the, the sport grow within the state and kind of help elevate its overall level too. But I think part of the reason why I didn't necessarily <clears> – yeah, I was a state champ and I was a full national All-American, but it's like, ah, oh, North Carolina kid. Right. 
Well, you know the, you know as well as anyone, the number one thing to get these get the state going is to get one or two big private club academies in the state. So, are there any yeah. like big private academies going in North Carolina? So, there's actually clubs, and the clubs are growing. People are starting more clubs, and the clubs that are established are actually have grown it tremendously. Like, there's this club in Charlotte called Dark Horse, which has grown and it's been around for a while. And then there's another club that's grown really, really quickly and is doing really well called C2X, Commitment to Excellence. And they've had kids like this kid named Kyle Monteperto, who's from uh, North Carolina. He's a four-time North Carolina State champ. He's at UVA. Um, and and you got uh, a kid named Dylan Layton, who's from South Carolina, who went to C2X, who was getting like some like top 25 wins as a true freshman this past year. That was at the so you you got some kids that are not only doing well at a national level, the high school level, but they're coming into college prepared and, and ready to compete and a little bit more ahead of the curve than I was when I came into college. You yeah, know? and let's so talk, let's talk about that, man. So you get in there. Do yeah. you start your first year? So I lost both of my wrestle offs at the beginning of the year. I lost my wrestle off at the Wolfpack Open. They said whoever places higher. That's going to be your wrestle off. And me and Shane Brady, who was a New York state champ, wrestled for third and fourth place until Pat told us before the match, hey, this is your wrestle off. <clears throat> so I'm like, all right. Wrestling, I think I'm up maybe 1-0 or, or he's up 1-0. The first, first period, no takedown scored. And then maybe third period, I go down and I turn my head to my knee. He just catches a cradle, sticks me. And then he was like, hey, I'm going to give you a chance to wrestle off at 197. Lost that wrestle off to my teammate, Stacy Davis, three to two. And But I was competitive in the room, super competitive room. And I, I had a lot of fight. So, like, I think they still decided this to – interchange me with those guys for certain competitions and certain duels. And I started outperforming in the duels better than those guys, or I would wrestle harder. And because of that, they decided to give me the starting spot by the end of the year. <clears throat> and so I, er I earned that spot halfway through the season after losing my wrestle offs. And I wrestled the ACC tournament me and Jacob Casper were wrestling for last place at 184, which is crazy. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and then the next year I didn't start. I lost a wrestle-off again to an incoming freshman who was a Super 32 finalist, national prep champ, and Nikki Hall from Wyoming Sim. I lost to him 3-2 on a locked hands call. He got the starting spot. And I wasn't the start of that second year. So in a way, I guess you could say I went backwards, but I was definitely better than I was the year before. How did you yes. take that situation where you started? I mean, let's go back to your freshman year though, too, because that's, yeah. that's a tough way to go through a season. Um, did you ever lose confidence throughout a season like that? Or were you resilient? Uh, I, I mean, I think I've always been resilient, but I think you definitely have this internal battle of, doubt and it's it's a it's a weird struggle because you believe in your ability but you're not producing and you have to figure out 
where am I lacking? Is it technical? Is it mental? And I always thought physically and athletically, I was in shape. Like as a freshman, I felt like physically, strength-wise, and just athletic ability, I was like ready to go. I just was pretty green technically. And I mean, again, I literally wrestled from November to February for each year of high school. So that's only a couple months, you know? And so I didn't spend time in the off season practicing high crotches or, you know, I think I remember my freshman year, they were like, all right, head outside or like, let's work high crotch. And I'm pretty sure I was like messing that up my freshman year in the room. People didn't want to drill me. I was too stiff. You know, Hey, who's got a partner? I already got one. Sorry. You know what I mean? And, um, but yeah, man, it was, I was like that kid that like felt like you're drilling technique and it feels like he's going live the whole time and he's not letting you do any moves and he doesn't know how to drill. That was me, my freshman year of college. So, but, but yeah, man, it was, uh, it was tough too, because then you also had this pressure that you put on yourself from the staff where it's like, okay, he's going to let me wrestle this duel. I have to win. Cause if I don't, He's going to wrestle the other guy, the next duel. And if he wins, I'm definitely losing my spot. And so now you felt like I have to win, I have to win, or I can't lose, I can't lose, I can't lose every single time because you get one opportunity to solidify the spot. And if you lose, spot's still up in the air. And now the other guy goes, and he gets a chance to solidify the spot. And if he wins, it's looking like it's going to be his. But if he doesn't, spot's still in the air. And it's just this weird, like, space to be in because no one's really that much better than the other mm -hmm. <clears throat> and yeah. the coaches are trying to figure out who 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 they're going to give the job to and so it was, it was weird I think I went 11 and 13 as a freshman yeah um, and then and and then the next year so I, I wrote it down you're exactly right and then next year nine and eight and both of those years you were 0 and 10 against ranked opponents and then it looked like, did you take a red shirt or you just, it was that the year you weren't starting? Uh, so that was, I took a red shirt my third year of college. The staff had actually asked me about moving up to 197. It's funny. I think after my freshman year, Pat asked me about moving up to 197. I said, no. And then my red shirt year, they asked me about moving up to 197. I said, no. <laughs> and I told them. You wanted them, to keep cutting or you just felt good <laughs> at that weight? I just felt that's that's where I was going to be the most competitive at the time. And oddly enough, I won my instantly title at 197. <laughs> but I uh, I remember sitting in the office with Frank, Pat, and Obi Blanc. And I was they brought me in and asked me about moving up to 197 and they were wanting me to weigh in for this upcoming competition. And I told them, I was like, Hey, you know, I feel like I'm a team first guy. I feel like I'm a teammate first guy and I'll do whatever you guys need. But I feel like at some point in your career, there's a moment where you have to be selfish. And I feel like I'm at that point. And I feel like technically I'm behind, you know, if you put me in the weight room, I'm competitive. If you put me, in an athletic setting, I'm competitive. And I feel like if it was an athletic competition, I'm one of the best in the country. But wrestling-wise, in terms of IQ and technique, I feel like that's where I'm behind. And I feel like redshirting would be in my best interest so I could focus on the technical aspect of things and develop there so I could close the gap. And they were like, 
We'll give you a day to think about it. Let us know tomorrow. And then, <clears throat> of course, I say, I'll do whatever you guys need me to. And they thankfully said, you know, we talked about it as a staff and we're going to let you redshirt. And, yeah. And so I had this gold book uh, where I still got it. And it's it's uh, it's cool to look at sometimes. But I would write down every single day my goal of wanting to be an NCAA champ. And I remember that year, my redshirt year, <clears throat> if I look in the book, it always said, I always wrote down year of the sponge. <laughs> I wrote that down because I wanted my goal was to just soak up as much as possible, be open minded, soak up as much as possible. And I feel like I still kind of take that mentality towards things now. And it's like you got to be confident, but you also got to be humble enough to learn from anybody. You don't know what piece of advice someone could give you that could be the difference, whether they have the same amount of accolades as you or whether they may not be anywhere close. There, there could be something in what they say or something that they show that could spark an idea or some sort of creative process that could be the difference in what helps you get to that next level. And so that's just kind of how I approached that year. And I just spent so much time in the room. I felt like I lived there and I made a lot of jumps. I think I lost one match, which was to Matt McCutcheon at the Southern Scuffle, who is a round of 12 guy for Penn State. <clears throat> but I had beaten him to win the Penn State Open a couple of weeks prior. Yeah, so I had he was ranked 12th at the time. And so during that retro year, I won the Penn State Open. I beat Matt McCutcheon uh, in the semis. And I had uh, – I can't remember this guy's name. Thomas something. He was a UPenn All-American. And he forfeited to me in the finals. And so that gave me more confidence. I'm like, why does this guy not want to wrestle me? Just because I beat McCutcheon? Is he running from me or whatever? And I'm like – it must be a good thing if God doesn't even want to, <laughs> you know? And so I felt good. And then McCutcheon got me back at the scuffle. And then I wrestled one more competition after that. And, uh, but yeah, he was my only loss that year. So going into my red shirt junior year coming at 84, uh, man, I was, I was excited. I was ready to go. I really felt like I could be in the mix. So when you're going through that red shirt year, developing new technique, are you going about it? You're going to the practice and working on stuff there, or are you like, in your head thinking, all right, I got to get better at singles. So let me spend some mornings with coaches going over certain areas. Like how'd you break it down? So one, a big, big focus for me was just feel. I got to get better at feeling positions. I was so stiff. Like I said, I was that guy that no one wanted to drill with. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to be smoother, you know, unless I didn't want to force everything so much because I was strong, you know, and could, maybe force a finish or force a position to get in or, or force my way into getting in. I wanted to be smoother. And I always appreciated about appreciated that about guys that are real slick. It's like, man, how do they make that look so easy? I feel like everything I do is crazy hard. And, and so that was a big focus for me was just flowing, you know, loosening up, relaxing and making sure that I'm feeling everything that's going on so I can anticipate better and, and a lot of focus there. And then obviously I spent a lot of time working on finishes. I felt like I could always get to a leg, but I wasn't transitioning quick enough to finishes and then whatever else. And then opening up, I felt like pretty, it was pretty like uh, behind on the hand fight at that time in my career. And so because I was not as good in the hand fight, I just kind of would struggle to get shots off. And so I focused a lot on opening up offensively. And those were kind of like the big focuses for me that year.
Yeah, the, it's it's interesting to hear you do that or talk about it because I always get get curious about how someone's breaking down a series or a system and and kind of how they track their development because I feel like a lot of guys will go through college and just and high school and any level really, but just really college where you you're not really working on new things. You're just kind of going with the flow and you got to, it's really, to me, you got to take it upon yourself to find areas to, to dive in. Yeah. I actually love that you brought that up because evolving is key, man. You can't stay the same, especially if you want to be the best because other guys are going to continue to evolve. And I always tell guys, look, man, I'd rather be the guy that has a couple L's throughout the year but I'm a completely different wrestler by the end of the year going into the tournament than a guy who's undefeated. And I'm the exact same wrestler I was in August going into the NCAA tournament. Because the guy who is the exact same in March as he was in August is not as dangerous as the guy who has evolved and made a bunch of growth between August and March. You know, yeah, you might have lost a couple at the beginning of the year, but you're not that same wrestler. You're you're sharper. You have more tools, whatever it is. And the hard part that I feel like trap that guys will fall into is they start to find success. This is what I've noticed with guys who have found success in their early in their first year or two is <clears throat> they find success doing what they did as soon as they come in, and so it's really hard for them to to branch out because that's what's winning and you need to win. You have to win. You want to keep your job. You got to win. The, and so there's just more pressure to perform. It's like they're, they don't take as much risk because, well, I know this is what's won for me. So it's like, I don't want to branch too far out of that. And like, yeah, you don't have to, but you, you got to put yourself in positions to grow. And that requires some sort of failure you know what I mean? And some sort of like exploration and like when you're trying new stuff out, it's not going to be perfect the first time you're trying it. Right now. And it's, it's getting out of the comfort zone. And a lot of times the only way to do that is if you have a, a crushing defeat, cause it hurts so bad that it's like, I, I don't want to feel this again, but as much as we try to get there without it, it just seems like it always takes some kind of setback to really have a turning point. And just from, just from the research from afar, it looked like, all right, something happened during that, during that redshirt year, because <laughs> you come back your junior year, uh, blood round guy, but it was yeah. a crazy stat five and six against ranked guys. You were zero and ten your first two years. Your senior year, coming to the NCAA tournament as the four seed, how crazy is it? You wrestled Virginia Tech guy in the finals. <laughs> Man, um, pretty wild because we had literally wrestled twice within the past month. And I'm like, at this point, <clears throat> I just was ready to go because one, it's hard to beat a really good wrestler over and over and over and over again. Just elite competitors are good at finding a way, you know, and they're good at making adjustments. And they're also just really, really determined to, get it back. And I felt like the first two matches that I had with hot one was a two to one loss in the dual meet <clears throat> two days before I beat Colin Moore in the dual meet. So I lost a hot two to one off of a stall call. No takedown was scored. 
So I thought we were going into overtime. I didn't even realize I had given up the stall call because it was the edge rule. It was the new year that it was the year they implemented the edge rule and it was new. So he had shot me out on the edge in like the first 30 seconds. So I got a warning. I don't remember. I don't even remember getting that warning. It's the first 30 seconds of the first period. Well, then third period, I'm looking to Matt return him so I can get riding time. I took too long to Matt return him. They hit me with another stall warning, which gives him the second point. So we're wrestling, wrestling. I'm trying to get the score, trying to get the score. I'm thinking like, all right, well, it looks like we're going to overtime. I put my foot on the line, and they're just like, the ref's reaching for my wrist. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I just lost this match. And then two days later, I beat Colin Moore in the dual meet against Ohio State. And then, yep. And then we had the ACC tournament a week or two after. And then Jared Haught and I wrestled again in the ACC finals. We went into like, quadruple overtime to where you go the one minute takedown, then you go right out, then you go right out. And then you go one more right out where it's like the 30 seconds, whoever's got the more riding, whoever has more riding time. And that's going to be the deciding factor. And I remember being on top and there was like two seconds left and we're on the edge and I have like a crab ride or like a claw. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to take him back. If I mess up, we'll go out of bounds. We start back to the center. I can hold him down for at least two seconds there. Well, I freaking try and pull him back into my lap, and he hips over and reverses me on the edge. And I ended up, I end up escaping, and then time runs out as I'm trying to get my score back. But not, there was no takedown scored in that match either. So we'd wrestled twice, and no one scored a takedown. And there's also, you know, I'm in Chicago, a lot of Midwestern listeners, Virginia Tech and North Carolina State do not get along. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, we got a good rivalry going. So you, that, ever, you ever been to Raleigh or Blacksburg for an NC State-Virginia Tech duel? You know how rowdy it gets. And if you haven't been, you definitely got to go. And always some crazy shit happens, I feel like. like you, <laughs> dude, it's wild. And. It's I love nuts, the uh, I love the coverage, you know, ACC Network and and Rock Harrison. The whole thing's awesome, and and so I saw that in the bracket. I'm like, that's crazy that you wrestled Virginia Tech in the finals. So before you get to the finals, though, dude, that leg sweep against Kyle Connell was crazy. Yeah. Right to yeah. a right to a pen. What are you thinking at that moment when you when you've made it to the NCAA finals after going 11 and 14 as a freshman? Uh, I just felt like I was playing with house money, man. You know, it's like going to a blackjack table or, or like a casino and the casino gives you money to play with for free. And it's like, I mean, that's very much how I felt because to be a North Carolina kid who started eighth grade freshman year in high school, who never wrestled for a club, only wrestled during the high school season, to being recruited, to probably be a depth chart guy, so not really having – a whole lot of expectations to I was probably recruited to be a practice partner to making the NCAA finals. For me, it was like, I already won, man. I already won. I won. I'm not even supposed to be here. You know what I mean? I already won. It's like, I've already exceeded everyone's expectations that they had for me already. And, and the best part was, I expected that from myself out the gate and I still wasn't going to be settling for the fact that, yeah, I made the finals. It's okay, man. It doesn't matter what happened. And, and, and granted, I, 
you know, I had peace about whatever the result was going to be because, you know, like I'm a big faith person. So for me, it's, you know, like it's not like my mom's going to love me any less. She probably even know what's going on half the time watching the match. So it's like, you know, that's not going to change. And so it's like, there's still a lot of amazing things that I have going for me. And I, I had a good understanding of that. Like my life is not so deeply wrapped into the sport where if I lose this match, it's the end of the world. And I'm going to fall into this deep state of depression and then just freaking, it's like, it's a game, man. It's a game at the end of the day, it's two guys competing on a mat with a circle on it. And it's like, yo, that's, that's such a gift. And I feel like that way now it's like, yo, I get to do this for a living. Are you crazy? Like, how are you kidding me? That's amazing. You know? And so I had felt like at that point, man, I was playing with house money and obviously I had came there for, one thing and one thing only, and that was to be an NCAA champ. And so to me, I was just glad that things were going according to plan. And I didn't even allow myself to really celebrate a whole lot that night. It was very much like, all right, what's what I got to do to make sure I'm preparing? I went and got ice, made a cold tub in my hotel bathtub, rolled out, stretched, did everything I possibly could to get ready for the next day. So, And your your teammate, the great Hayden Hidley, which love love those guys, him and Trent. He was my he- roommate that year. Really? We lived, we lived together, yeah. Me and Hayden that year. He made the finals as well. Yep. What was it like having him as a teammate all those years? And well, still? yeah, so it was amazing, man. I think he was obviously four years younger than me. So I was a redshirt senior, and I think he was a redshirt freshman. But he just always had this type of composure about him where, you know, he's just very professional. He's a consummate professional. Even as a freshman, he just had this – really good sense of maturity about him. He's the type of guy that will throw on Sunday Sunday NFL ticket and maybe have a newspaper and a cup of coffee in his hand. He's just real laid back, you know. He's got a good old man sense of humor. He's hilarious. And and uh, he's just a good guy. He's just a really good guy. And, and so, um, obviously, I got to see that living with him too. And But it was, it was amazing to have – other teammates around me also doing it and it almost whole puts you and elevates you as well. Cause you're like, all right, my teammates do this. I got to make sure I'm doing just as good because <laughs> they're, they're outperforming as well. And even Tariq Wilson that year, he wrestled Seth gross all the way into overtime in the NCAA semifinals. Tariq Wilson was a takedown away in overtime for making the NCAA finals as a freshman too. And so NC we State had, three in the finals, that would have been crazy. That would have been nuts, man. And Kevin Jack was having a heck of a year, and so was Pete Rent. I mean, we we were on fire that year. We ended up finishing fourth, and we had gotten a team trophy, which I believe was Pat's first team trophy. That's huge. Like, to crack into that, we were just <clears> talking – I just said David Carr when we were talking about this. Everyone thinks Iowa State's been on fire the last couple of years, and they have been. They still have not finished higher than 11th at the NCAA tournament. So, so it's like – go ahead. Think about how crazy this is. Pat and Frank Beasley left Binghamton in 2012. So they had to take the team that they had because they had to pass like the recruiting uh, timeline or whatever. So their very first recruiting class, I was a part of. They were 64th in the country when I came in. NC State was 64th at the NCAA tournament my senior year of high school. They recruit their first class, and by the time that class graduates, fourth place team trophy. Truly amazing. 
That's development. That's all. I mean, that's just incredible coaching. Incredible how, recruiting. How how crazy is that? One that, class. That doesn't one class. happen, dude. So I mean, I mean, and a place that's never that, really like. It's not like it's resurrecting OU, who was this great power. It's like right. this program really has never been a perennial power. Now it is. It's like that's even yeah. more impressive. Yeah, and and obviously, I mean. It, you had Gwiz, who was also setting the bar for us, too. You know, you had a guy who won two national titles and made the finals three times training in the same room, so you're getting to see what he's doing day in and day out. And, you know, man, I learned so much from Gwiz. And then also Tommy Gant, man, he's he's a competitor. And watching him practice in the room, you can ask Frank Beasley or Pat. Like, he used to push guys out of the room, like, close the door. Like, dude, we, no used, way. To, we used to be so competitive. And Tommy's actually the one who showed me the foot sweep. That I hit on Canal and the NCAA semis. Okay. You know, we we had a crazy competitive room. And I think part of the mentality that kind of we took was very much like a chip on our shoulder type of mentality, type of culture. Because, yeah, it's like the, the, not the misfits, but like the kind of the groups that you don't get recruited by Penn State or Iowa, but we want to beat them. And so mm-hmm. we're going to win off of toughness. And that's how it started. And obviously the program's in a place now where they can recruit the top tier kids and, and they don't have to just win off of toughness. They come into college and they're technically sound and they've been wrestling for a while. But my class, freshman year, they were big, man. The amount of conditioning we had to do and, and all the crazy stuff Pat made us do just make us tough. I mean, we we were gritty because we had to be. That was how we were going to win. See, that's my next question is tell me about Coach Papalizio, man. What was he like? He's a nut job. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. No, nah, I love Pat, man. He, uh, Yeah, he's good, man. He's, he's a visionary. He's a guy that has a vision for the program, and, and he's a guy who also is really good at choosing his staff wisely. I don't think – NC State gets where it's at with Pat at the helm without Pat picking the right guys to help it get there. I mean, the amount of influence Frank Beasley had on my career, um, Obi Blanc had on my career, um, and even Adam Hall and Donnie Vincent, um, and Jameel Kelly my freshman year. <clears throat> Everybody who's come through the program, I was I have learned so much from, and there's still things that I think about today that I learned from Jameel my freshman year before he left to Stanford, Frank before he took the head coaching job at George Mason. Obi was my individual technique coach in my last years of college. And, and if there's a coach that I could give a tremendous amount of credit to for putting me in a position to win a national title, it's Obi Blanc. That guy is one heck of a coach, man. And oh, look at the coaching tree Pat's putting out there all of a sudden. I didn't even realize it until you started listening to these guys. Like Obi Blanc, you know, head coach in North Dakota. Can shout out Obi Blanc. Yeah, and he's going to do awesome stuff at that program. And then Adam Hall. So he Hall, was a big impact. Adam, Coach Hall, okay. Coach Hall, you know, who who was helping me spar during my redshirt year and helping me develop during that year. And then uh, Donnie Vincent. I remember he told me, he, you know, there's stuff that I still do now that I learned from Donnie. And I think that was his first year coming in was the year I went into the blaze. This overtime card snap that I used to hit all the time. And if I go back and watch matches from my senior year, I scored a lot off of that overtime card snap. And I even used it a bunch of my NCAA finals match. And I don't know if I learned that if, if Donnie Vincent doesn't come in, become part of the staff. And then Timmy McCall, who's an assistant coach now, was our first RTC athlete before Gwiz graduated. And that's who I trained with a lot during my redshirt year. 
And so Timmy McCall, I owe a lot of um, credit to for, for the growth during that year. So, I mean, like, I mean, just the people that obviously Pat is a visionary and he has established a culture of winning with a multitude of other things, but he understands in order to establish a certain culture, you have to have the right people in place. And he's really good at choosing those high quality, talented individuals like Obi, Frank, Jamil, Donnie, Adam, Timmy, you know, like, I mean, these, these guys are incredible. And, and, uh, but, but Pat's great, man. I, I think he was like, a no, no games kind of guy a freshman year. You know, he's very much like he, he wants to win, you know, I was going to say, would you say he's more of like a, like a hard ass type guy or like a more of a gratitude type guy? Hard ass, but he softened up over the years for sure. <laughs> you know, just like everybody with a little bit of age, a little bit of more life, you know what I mean? And, but well, those ups, those upstate New York guys, they, they're no joke, man. Those are tough. Yeah, and you got to remember too, like the era that he came from, like the, the Oklahoma State era that he's from is when John Smith was younger. And I feel like John Smith in his younger years was ruthless. Right. And so, you know, like. <laughs> Dude, DC tells stories. He's like, we come back from an international tournament and John Smith would be like, you guys are doing all the work, but you're not winning. I don't understand why. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's uh, hard know, to explain, and, I guess. I don't know. And, and, and Pat was part of the program during those years. And so I'm sure, you know, it's a combination, like, definitely made us tough without a doubt. And I, and I think part of it is from, you know, who he is, but I'm sure part of what he takes away from those errors and what he's got from John. And then I'm sure he, he's implemented stuff that he didn't like that John did that maybe he thought, like, didn't help him, that maybe he thought mm -hmm. if I change, you know, just just like with anybody else, right? Well, he, you mentioned you guys had a chip on your shoulder. You know, if I'm remembering this correctly, I believe he only won state one time and they kind of had to navigate the recruiting process on their own, Pat and Frank. And so like when, when coach Papalizio was getting started in college coaching, he started at a, at a lower level program too. So he's pro he's been coming up the whole time, you know, from these non blue bub programs. And so I'm sure there's a little bit of that going on too. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, you know, I think too, you know, he was, ranked number one in the country and I don't think he won a silly title. And I think, you know, maybe wanting to have something to prove, you know, maybe my athletic career didn't go the way I wanted. So, you know, I, I like coaching and I want to do something there. And obviously he's been able to do some pretty amazing things as a college coach. No question, man. He's the, the Hopalizio brothers are some of my favorites and it's awesome to see what the, what the programs, what the programs become. And you look at the, even the U.S. Open this year, there were so many guys competing who had North Carolina State ties. I mean, yeah. you, your your teammate right above you, yeah. Aiden was in there. And, yeah, it's it's cool to see just just how just how much it's grown. Talk to us about uh, about Final X, man. We'll wind down with this. What are your uh, – how you feel and what are your thoughts going into this uh, this final wrestle-off here? Man, it could be tomorrow. I feel ready to go. I mean, that's genuinely how I feel. Let's so. Go. And now it's just a matter of <laughs> don't hurt myself between now and then. <laughs> don't be dumb, you know. So that is the number one priority. 
And the other priorities, I feel mentally ready to go. I'm so excited, and I don't care who wins. Let's go. I'm getting excited for you. It doesn't matter, man. Like, and 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 I'm not even. I don't even feel like I'm putting pressure on myself to win because one, again, it's not like my mom's gonna love me any less if it doesn't go the way I don't want it to. And two, right, like. My face not going anywhere. God's still good. But then the second part is, I feel like I'm not protecting anything, man. I feel like I'm still hunting. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, so for me, it's like I I feel like I'm still hunting. So that's the best part about it. And 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 so that's how I feel. You know what I mean? You ask me how. That's how I feel. That's the best way to describe it. So now you're it's dangerous a- right now, dog. You're yeah. dangerous. Let's go. <laughs> I'm getting excited. <laughs> Yeah. Man, I'm so I'm so pumped for you. It's uh it's just a Thanks, few weeks man. away. So today it's Friday, May 19th. This episode will go live on Monday, so a couple days. So people will be uh be able to hear it and and I can tell you, man, your your excitement's palpable. It's uh it's just Thanks, we man. wish you nothing but the best in your final preparations, man. And, and we're pulling for you. And it was it was awesome to see the US Open title. And then Pan Ams, bro. Yeah. Rolling through it, man. Let's actually I want to wind down with this because yeah. you know, when you represent, you know, Team USA, it's a special thing. And I don't know if this is your first Pan Am gold, but um if it is, man, what what was what was that emotion like to get the uh get the medal with Team USA? Well, one, I was just happy to be there because I'd never gotten to represent Team USA at a Pan, Pan Am Games or Pan American Championships before. So This is the first one. Okay. This That's is the special. first one. Yeah. And so for me, it was just I was one really really happy to to just be a part of that and then two to be with the ones to be at a competition with the ones like and when I say ones I mean the number ones you know that the team USA they want to take the number ones and obviously um <clears throat> you know they move down line if if someone doesn't want to go but like even for those guys for me it's like yo this is this is the the team, you know what I mean? And so for me, it was like, use this as an opportunity to prepare mentally for what will, what it'll feel like to be with the USA wrestling staff at the world championships, um, to be warming up, getting ready alongside everybody using our resources, our nutritionist, our, our, our strength conditioning, uh, um, guy Mason and just use this as an opportunity to like, try and replicate like what you'll feel at a world championships with the team, with the staff, with USA wrestling staff and everybody around. And so that way it's not unfamiliar territory. And so I used it like that and I just used it as practice. And then also it was just enjoying being around everybody. Cause I mean, those are my peers, you know, we, we train together every year, multiple times a year at the Olympic training center. And so mm-hmm. I man, it was just, I felt like a kid at a candy store the whole week, man. So it was like, yeah. I saw the one picture you posted. It's you and JB in the tunnel. It's like, yeah, man, it's awesome. Yeah, it's sick. He sent that to me. And I'm like, man, that's a tough photo. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's cool, man, just to think that, um, you know, I had aspirations to be in this position and it feels good to to be there. Yeah. Did you ever think about retiring after 21 Olympic trials? I did, actually. I Cause did. Because that's, that's your, you know, you're four or five years out. You do you go another one, and I don't even have to think twice, bro. I think I see you going all the way through twenty eight now. Maybe maybe <laughs> tell me I'm crazy, but 
<laughs> Los Angeles is going to be here before we know it. You're, you're just man. The amount, the amount less wear and tear you have on your body by starting late is ten years worth compared to these guys you're going up against. You yeah, know? and that's not something I've thought about. You know, but that is a good point. Um, but oh, you know, man. that that's uh, we'll see. You know, I uh, I was on the the beta show not uh this week too, and I was talking about uh how I had a WWE opportunity. Uh, they offered me a contract. They wanted me to start work February 13th, this past February. And I almost went. Cash in hand. Wow. And I would have not wrestled at the Open. I would have – my wrestling career would have been over. And it just would have been – you know what I mean? It just would have been – it's just crazy how – Wow. Were you considering it? I was, man. It was one of the toughest decisions I had to make. You know, they were really excited about me, you know, being a, being down there and starting work. And, you know, I was going to – uh go live with Jacob Casper and, and uh, you know, we were going to do our thing down there and him and his brother. And obviously it was an opportunity that I would have loved to take advantage of, but, you know, I, <clears throat> I had talked about the potential of, you know, I want to finish this cycle. It's only a year away. And they're like, well, what's the timeline? And I gave them the timeline and they said, oh, that might be tough. You know, uh, realistically, you know, give us an answer by Monday. And those couple of days just deliberating and trying to figure out what I want to do with the next phase of my life were hard because you have to sit there and think about, okay, do I give this up and pursue this or do I give this up and pursue this? And if I decide to forego wrestling, it's not like I can come back in five years because my body is just, the time is either now or it's not. And if I stick with wrestling, maybe WWE will still be there. Maybe not. Most likely, Maybe most likely not, based on what they were telling me. It's like, and it's like you just you there's there's no guarantees. You don't know, and you worry so much about what what's the right decision, what's the wrong decision, and and it was just a, a hard mental space for me to be in because, all right, if I pass this up, do I really think I can make the team? Do I think I can medal? Do I think I can win the Olympics? Do I think you know because I got an uphill battle already domestically, so do you actually believe in yourself? Do you actually believe in yourself? Because you, that's that was the hardest part. It was like, do I think this is realistic? Because if I don't, then what's the point of pursuing it? And I just remember thinking, like, I don't want to look back. I just don't want to look back 20 years from now and regret my decision, whatever that is. And I felt like I ended up choosing wrestling. Uh, I had some good encouragement some, from some people that I trust. And then also I was, you know, praying a lot about it, trying to figure out what was going to be the right move and, and where do I f feel like God wants me right now at this point in my life. And, and I feel like uh, there was this high school coach that I don't have a crazy good relationship with who would give me a phone call. And he was basically saying like, uh, <laughs> just called me the day, I had before I had to make the decision. He was just like, "Hey, I know you don't know me well, blah blah blah, but I heard you were making this decision because I didn't tell him what I was doing, but he had somehow found out through the grapevine, I guess, and also got my contact information and got a hold of me the day before I have to make the call. He just, hey man, I just feel like uh, you know God's put it on my heart to tell you that I don't think that WWE is what you should be doing right now." And I'm like. All right, I don't know if that's divine, but I don't necessarily know if I should completely ignore it either. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, 
I'm not saying that's God, but I'm also not saying like, that's not weird. You know what I mean? Like, right. And so I'm like, all right, does this mean something? And I'm like, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt, but. And this is uh, out of nowhere. You never talked to this guy before. I've talked to him once before, but I didn't tell him what I was doing. I didn't okay. tell him what decision I was making. Um, I didn't even have his number saved. Uh, I had to exchange a text message with him because I had spoke to his high school team before. They'd come to a dual meet to support NC State. And, and so I was just like, I just couldn't stop thinking about that. And so I thought about that. And then I also thought about it from the practical side of things. I wrote everything down. And, and uh, so I made the decision, one, because I felt like, you know what? Regardless of how it goes, if I go all in 100%, I won't regret 20 years from now looking in the mirror as long as I gave everything I possibly could. And then two, WWE is not on my own terms, man. You move up and down, you get promoted based on the discretion of the company, regardless of how hard you work. It's entertainment. It's different. And man, it's amazing. It's an amazing company. And, you know, they treated me so well throughout that process. And I, and I could be more thankful and I would love to have an opportunity with them still, but I just know that this is an opportunity that's once in a lifetime that you're not going to get back. And it is a dream of mine and it's either now or never. And I don't know what the answer is going to be, but the biggest thing was I want to at least find out what the answer is. And I'm not going to know if I don't go all in and give it a shot. And so, yes, it was scary decision. And I decided to go all in and, part of me felt like that's what God was calling me to. And that's also part of what I felt like was on my heart. And now since February, I just been all in and now we're here talking about <laughs> final X and world championships and, and, uh, but yeah, man, it, it's been a crazy couple months. It That's an awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And that's just, it's awesome to hear you go through that. And what an honor to have you uh, in final X and, and represent the U S and, Dude, I'm just so happy for you. And again, wish you nothing but the best as we uh as we head up to Final X here, big dog. I appreciate all your time today. Yeah, absolutely, man. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was presented by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club, who's putting on two camps this summer. Go to frogninjawrestlingclub.com if you're in the PA area and want to learn from some of the best in the business. FrogNinjaWrestlingClub.com. Register for their upcoming summer camps now. We'll see you later this week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!